0: This is The Liz Callaway Show. She's a one-of-a-kind, and she's only found here. The new conservative alternative, WTKN Talk 94.5. Okay, let's do it. Our morning show knows exactly what it stands for. The Liz Callaway Show, the right local morning show, right now.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Liz Callaway show with Nick Summers on May the 4th be with you it's seven Stop. You're not even a
0: Star Wars fan. I
1: know I'm not. I have no clue. But I can't help it. Uh, Name me one Star Wars character. One. Chewbacca.
0: Oh okay. All right. Is
1: that good? Yeah, you're fine. Okay. (laughs) I qualify. I qualify. Um, I am so excited right now to introduce our next guest, Dr. Ben Carson. He is the author. He's a best-selling author. He's a retired neurosurgeon, a pediatric neurosurgeon. Uh, In fact, he was uh, the first doctor to perform successfully uh, the separation of conjoined twins who were attached at the back of their heads unbelievable uh, person, patriot. And of course, he ran for um, president of the United States uh, in the primary. And he is also the author of a book coming out very soon. It would make a great Mother's Day gift, by the way, Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present and Hopeful Future of Race in America. Joining us right now is Dr. Ben Carson. Good morning,
0: Good morning. Glad to be with you.
1: Thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you. And I don't I don't know if you remember. uh, I've interviewed you a couple of times. Once at the Market you do remember? Absolutely. Oh my
2: god. Wow. (laughs) I told you he has a great (laughs) memory.
1: I I (laughs) met you over at the Market Common in Myrtle Beach and you had come to my office at the radio station that I used to work at. um, and we chatted in person as well and then we talked even after that. Um I I just um, uh, we admire your work so much, especially I do. I speak for myself, but uh, you know you were you did serve as the secretary secretary of housing and urban development as well from 2017 to 2021. Um, there has been so much that has happened, and 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 now that uh, this leak from SCOTUS has happened, maybe you would like to comment on that first, because you have been upfront and personal, with life hanging in the balance, especially in, in babies. What do you think about what has transpired, uh, first of all, with the, the fact that it was a leaked uh, draft of a, a Supreme Court justice?
0: Well, Obviously, the, the leaking is an abominable thing, and it, it shows where we've come as a nation. We have people who, you know, disregard some of the sacred trust and just believe that their point of view is the only thing that's important. And we see that manifested in, in media and in a lot of places where people do not want to hear opposing voices. They just want their point of view put through. And, uh, it's a dangerous, uh, spot that we're in right now in our country. And I hope that, uh, the right thing happens here. No question that something as important as life or as the taking of life should be in the hands of the people, uh, not in the hands of a bunch of unelected judges. So I think that's the issue.
1: Absolutely, and I and I heard what you're uh, saying in there, and when you started uh, talking about the leak, is that this is almost a way to um, stop free speech on this topic. You know what I mean? It, it was almost like when you have a leak, it's someone who's trying to control um speech as well so it's like almost like a free speech issue also in there and one of the things that really outraged me was the conversations that and the sound bites and the tweets that we've heard over the last 24 hours one of the um headlines that really got me um was this one from USA Today that said people of color the poor and other marginalized people to bear the brunt if Roe v Wade is overturned Uh, It was written by a woman. It was uh, obviously an opinion article. Nada Hassanin wrote this article. And um, how do you feel about it being characterized as an attack on people of color and and poor people, especially in the South, that will be impacted if this does come to be true? Do you find that to be a racist characterization or just misguided? Well, you know,
0: obviously, uh, these things need to be put in context. Uh, Maybe people should learn where Planned Parenthood came from and Margaret Sanger and -hmm. the fact that uh, she believed in eugenics and getting rid of certain people, particularly uh, minorities. She was, in fact, a hero in Hitler's Germany and uh, wanted to get rid of uh, black people Hispanic people. And that's why Planned Parenthood clinics appear in a very disproportionate number in those neighborhoods. That's racist.
1: Yeah. But why do they always eliminate that topic from the conversation of abortion? And when you see people like Senator um, Elizabeth Warren shaking with the thought that, you know, that, uh, that Roe v. Wade might be overturned, I mean, how do we? Where do we put that in our brains? I, I just keep hearing people like Howard Stern, Whoopi Goldberg, and um, like I just said, Elizabeth Warren. Just really, uh, I say that they're part of the party of death. They were part of this death culture. That yeah. uh, it, it, where do you put that? How do how do we deal with that? That language.
0: Well, well I think we we just have to be uh, bold and and talking about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people. Yes put their head down and stand in a corner and hope that nobody says anything bad about them.
1: My gosh, <laughs> I was talking really, about that all morning. Yes, yes, please tell us not, more.
0: I'm not really thinking about the importance of life. You know, American Cornerstone, uh, my organization, we concentrate on the pillars, the fundamental pillars that made America into a great nation. Those are faith, liberty, community, and life, and that last pillar, life, from the womb to the tomb, we need to be concerned about the quality and the value of life. And, uh, you know, that means not only unborn babies, that means all of those drug addicts out on the street. I, I'll tell you something. Mm. If, if most of them could push a button and not be addicted, they would wear that button out. You know, it's not something that you necessarily have control over. And we need to help those people get back to the, the right place. The same thing with the mentally ill. Uh, they they have no ability to take care of themselves, and yet we throw them out on the street. Uh, we need to deal with all of those kinds of things if we're truly a compassionate group of people. And the further we get away from respecting life, the more callous we become in terms of our relationships with each other.
1: Dr. Ben Carson uh, is who we're speaking with right now, and, of course, uh, also the author of Gifted Hands, uh, your best-selling author. Tell us a little bit about this book um, that's coming up that you can pre-order, Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America. Why did you write this book, and what can we learn from it?
0: Well, it was written because there has been such an incredible emphasis on race in recent years, sort of everything circles back to race again, and that is being done in a, in a very negative way, picking out the most the most egregious aspects of our history, and emphasizing those, and indicting our nation as a result of that. Uh, I wanted to set the record straight and talk about the real history of America, talk about what kind of progress has been made, talk about maybe some of the solutions, talk about education, talk about the George Floyd incident uh, and its effect on our country and how we have distorted the facts uh, in order to create an emotional uh, volcano in, in our nation and around the world, secondary to an incident that is way out on the end of the bell curve. They try to make it seem like this is something that happens every day. And the fact of the matter is, if you go back and look at the last year, in what you have good statistics, there were over 50 million police civilian encounters, and there were less than two dozen incidents of a white policeman killing an unarmed black person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a tiny, 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 tiny fraction, and yet they try to make it seem like something that's common. doesn't mean that we shouldn't be looking at ways to make sure that we have better community police relationships, but it does mean that we need to blame the right kinds of things, and we talk a lot about that in the book. We talk about the wealth gap, and it is claimed by the left that it is systemic racism that causes the wealth gap. And yet, when you look at Nigerian families in the United States, Ghanaian families in the United States, by the way, they're black, there's no wealth gap. And if you look at, you know, black American families who've been here for a long time, but who have a tremendous emphasis on education and family structure, there's no wealth gap. So maybe we're blaming, blaming the wrong thing. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it seems to me that there are some uh, policies, in particular democratic policies in, in certain cities and states, that actually are designed to keep that wealth gap there and to keep people well, down. Do you think that's true?
0: Absolutely. Of, of course it's true. Uh, it was one of the things that surprised me the most uh, as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. I thought it would be a slam dunk to get people to agree uh, with programs that allow people to climb the ladder of opportunity and become (laughs) self-sufficient. Yeah. Boy, that's not true. There are a lot of politicians who are very happy to keep people in a dependent position because they feel they can control them and control their votes.
1: Well, I feel that about uh, one of our uh, (laughs) representatives here, uh, you know, James Clyburn. I mean, I, I just I'm so, so upset with him um, and, and how he just keeps pushing this uh, narrative. And, and many of our uh, Democrat representatives here in South Carolina, there are some um, that that could that constantly are um, sharing, um, perpetuating this this concept that uh, that this the people need help in a certain way. In order to make them successful, but we have seen time and time again that that type of help, that that continuing uh, generation after generation on welfare, is not helping people, or or unemployment um, is not helping no, us. Not. It's actually killing small business. I mean,
0: absolutely, and and not only that, but uh, why do some of these uh, so-called champions of the underclass? Why don't they advocate for school choice?
2: Mm-hmm. And that's,
0: you know, yes. I, I talked in the book about how education is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic class you came from. If you get a good education, it changes the trajectory of your life. And as does being able to read by the third grade, completely changes the trajectory of your life. Why are they not concentrating on these things?
1: Mm-hmm. I want to know, Dr. Ben Carson, what keeps you up at night? What are those notifications or alerts on your phone of a story that pops up, you know, that's being covered? What really gets you going and gets you heated or, you know, makes you tweet about something?
0: The loss of freedom Mm. in America and the fact that so many people don't even recognize that our freedoms are being lost. You know, America was a great experiment, and the Europeans thought that there was no way it would possibly work, that you had to have a monarch, that you had to have a ruling structure. People couldn't rule themselves, Mm -hmm. and yet it has worked for 250 years. Right now we have the greatest threat to it uh, ever. And, you know, when uh, the Constitution was finished and Benjamin Franklin came out of the Constitution Hall, a lady said to him in 1787, Sir, what do we have here? A republic or a monarchy?
2: Mm.
0: And he said, a republic, if we can keep it. Right. And now is that challenge.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do we really appreciate what we have in this country? I was talking to someone from Venezuela yesterday, and uh, you know, she was telling me how quickly things changed there. Uh, I have visited Venezuela multiple times uh, before they changed. And it was a wonderful place, beautiful hotels and resorts and museums and shopping centers. And the biggest argument that people had was whether or not they were the most beautiful people in the world. <laughs> That's what they, about. <laughs> they had the best economy in South America.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And almost overnight, they went to the worst economy loss of freedom, it's really quite astonishing. well, people who say that it can't happen here. They really ought to pay attention to what's happened in well, other parts of the world.
1: That's, that's what I wanted to ask you. You know, it's, you're saying that you've seen it then and you see it now and you spoke to this person and it seems like it happened overnight. But we all know it doesn't. What are those patterns that we can recognize and pinpoint that's happening in our own culture or trying to happen? I mean, we're fighting it every day. I mean, that fight to keep the republic yes. is every day. So what are the things that you see? that we need to pay attention to?
0: Well, that's a very good question. You know, in the late 50s, early 60s, Nikita Khrushchev said to Eisenhower, your grandchildren's children will live under communism and we will not have to fire a shot.
2: Hmm.
0: What was he talking about? Yeah, education. Right. He recognized that you had to gain control of the educational system so you could indoctrinate the kids, gain control of the media so that you could spoon-feed the people only what you want them to know and shield them from what you didn't want them to know. Replace faith in God with faith in government and let the national debt loom to such high levels that you could justify massive taxation, redistribution of wealth and complete dependence on the government. Those are the exact things that are happening in our country right now. And I think some people are waking up and start to recognize it. But many are asleep at the switch. And that's why it's so important that we get this information out to people and that that we talk about this and not let it happen.
1: I had a conversation with a woman who's a a woman of color. She's a a Democrat. And I was telling her about, you know, this whole thing. We were talking about this whole thing with the uh, Roe v. Wade and all that. I mean, she was not aware that people are actually going to get abortions that are you know, in their eighth or ninth month of pregnancy. And oh, yeah. she, she wasn't aware about that. She wasn't aware that what Governor Northam had said about, you know, oh, well, you know, if the baby, you know, survives an abortion, we just make it comfortable, have a conversation with the mother. Oh, she's like, what? This is evil. I said, well, that's your party. <laughs> you know, and like you said, but, people well, turn away and they don't look at it, but they ha- you have to force them to talk about it and look at it.
0: And and you look at how things have migrated. You know, a few years ago, I was in South Africa, and we were at a conference, and one of the speakers was the head of the ACLU. It was talking about how wonderful they are, how they speak for those who can't speak for themselves. So at the Q&A session, I said to him, uh, a lady came to me. She was 32 weeks pregnant. She was on her way to Kansas to get an abortion uh, because it had been discovered that the baby had a neurological problem. Hmm. I managed to convince her not to get the abortion. The baby was born. I operated on the baby. It was successful. Oh, my gosh. And she loves that baby, and she's so glad she didn't kill that baby. I said, would you speak for that baby? That baby is voiceless and has no one to speak for. He wouldn't answer the question. And later on that evening at dinner, I said, let's continue the conversation. I say, you know, I operate on little babies that are 26, 27, 28 weeks gestation." less developed than the one that we were talking about. And yet the one that's in the safest place they can possibly be and it's further developed, you can't speak for that one. I said, can you speak for the other ones that are already out of the womb? He said, oh, yeah, no problem.
2: Mm.
0: I said, you know, that doesn't make any sense. And he said, of course it doesn't. And I realized that it doesn't, but I believe that a woman has a right to kill the baby until the second it is born. And I said, will you say that in public? And he said, no. But now they say it in public.
1: They shout
0: it. We have deteriorated morally to that level. Wow, Uh,
1: Doctor Ben Carson, these are uh, just such a powerful interview. I mean, my heart stopped when you were telling me that story. Um, I have to ask you before we run out of time, because things are really just moving so quickly here, and um, and you know we talk about it, but I want to ask you about. Uh, President Donald Trump, when you were uh, in the administration, what surprised you the most about him and about what his, where his heart was on, on issues? What, what did you want to share some insight?
0: Well, you know, he has a tremendous amount of compassion for poor people and for minorities. And you saw that reflected in his policies. He didn't go around beating his chest about it and talking about it, but he believed that a, a rising tide floats all boats, and you saw the results: the lowest unemployment numbers ever in minority communities, and the ability for the historically black uh, colleges and universities to get funding without coming to Washington to beg every every year. You know. Uh, looking at people who are inmates and how do we get them on a different trajectory by going into the prison and giving them some education and some skills and an actual job so that when they came out, they didn't go back to the same environment that got them there in the first place. You know, these are fantastic things and that they've been done by, you know, a Democrat. Mm He would be enshrined as a hero everywhere. Mm -hmm. But because they were done by Trump, yeah, we don't want to talk about that. Hmm.
1: I just want to ask you one more question, uh, Dr. Ben Carson, is about your organization, Cornerstone. Can you tell me more about that?
0: Yeah, the American Cornerstone Institute was formed as a think tank slash do tank. A and do
1: tank. I love, I love that. You know, I was just talking about think tanks, and I'm like, what do they all do? You know, we were just talking about that yesterday, I think. And I was like, what, do yeah. they ever get anything done? And you just said it. It's exactly. a do tank. I love it. So tell me more about that.
0: And we concentrate on those areas that are so important to the development of our country and the success of our country. That is faith, liberty, community. And life. Mm. And we have multiple programs uh, to enhance those areas. Uh, AmericanCornerstone.org, you can read about them. There are multiple uh, conversation series there, multiple outfits, multiple television appearances, and conversations. And we also have a, a part of the program called Little Patriots, uh, where we try to teach our children uh, the real history of our, of our country the basis of our success. Uh, warts and all, we don't try to hide anything, and uh, it's a free online program. It's mm. free because we've had wonderful supporters who underwrite the program, and we've got a children's book called Why America Matters. We have another one coming out shortly, Why Stand for the Flag, we have another one coming out after that about free speech, and there's a little eagle called Liberty Eagle. Who's for access to our guide. And we emphasize the fact that Liberty Eagle has two wings, a right wing and a left wing. Mm-hmm. You can't fly with two right wings. You can't fly with two left wings. But when they work together, it can soar majestically. And we have to start thinking about how we can work together in this country. And a part of that means that we have to talk to each other, and we have to explain what we mean. A lot of times, if you go and you talk to one of these young radical people, and ask them, you know, why do they believe certain things, you'll find that it's very shallow.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you, you know, instead of attacking them, just get them to discuss that and talk about why you believe what you believe It frequently has a powerful uh, important,
1: you know what that that seems like the things that we should be talking to um people who are running for office because some of their reasons are very shallow for what they believe in and um and they don't even they're just saying stuff to get elected uh i, I if we have an opportunity to speak to someone who's running for office because we have a primary coming up here in on June fourteenth. What do you think are maybe a couple of most important things we should be asking our local um, politicians before they, you know, run for office, before we vote?
0: Yeah, well, uh, one of the things to ask them is, how many black men who are unarmed are killed by white policemen every year? I'm just asking that question. Mm. Um, They either won't know or they'll come up with a number that is Massively larger than the actual situation. And that gives you an opportunity to talk about, you know, the whole, should we cancel the police or should we defund Mm -hmm. the police? Should we be letting people out of jail who are a danger to society? Or should we be trying to rehabilitate those uh, individuals? Um, Just talk about logical things. Ask them about green energy and the Green New Deal and say, uh, why is stopping the use of our fossil fuels a good idea? See what they say. Mm -hmm. They won't have a very good answer because the fact of the matter is we have been blessed with a tremendous amount of energy, and we should use that energy in order to get to the point where we can use green energy. Don't just create a gigantic hole out of which you have to dig, which is what we've done, which makes it even less likely that we will have clean, renewable energy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, engage people in those kinds of conversations. And I think you'll be rewarded for doing that.
1: Well, Dr. Ben Carson, it's been such an honor to speak with you again. Thank you so much for taking all this time out. I know we overwent, uh, you know, overshot our time here, but um, it's just always such a joy. um, And I love your insight. So uh, get the book. It's Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present and Hopeful Future of Race in America. And also Gifted Hands, another wonderful book um, and uh, great Mother's Day gifts. Uh, Thank you so much, Dr. Ben Carson. God bless you.
0: Wonderful to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you. Liz Calloway and Nick Summers will be back in a few on Talk 94.5.